This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your teaching to us through your word. I pray that you would speak to us afresh today, wherever we are, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Our gospel reading this morning follows on straight from where we left off last week. Those of you who were here or who watched on YouTube will know that we were talking about what to do if a Christian brother or sister sins against you. And we looked at Christ's teaching, very challenging teaching about this, that it is we who have been sinned against who need to make the first move. So I wonder, how have you been getting on this past week with that challenge? Have you sought to be reconciled with anyone? Did you go to that person in private and speak with him or her? Did you listen to their side of things? Did you tell them how much your relationship matters to God and to you? Did you forgive the person who had wronged you? Well, it seems from the continuation of this passage of Scripture in Matthew's Gospel today that the Apostle Peter had done his share of mulling over what Jesus had just taught them. Peter comes to Jesus and says to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And I think that Peter thought he was really stretching it, really being generous, really pushing the boat out. Indeed, the teaching of the rabbis at that time was that one should forgive someone three times. And Peter's suggesting more than double that. Perhaps Peter was expecting Jesus to respond with a warm-hearted, way to go, Peter. That's tremendous. If you can forgive that much, you'll go far in the kingdom of God. Except... What Jesus actually said was, not seven times, but 77 times. And other translations have it as 70 times seven. But it doesn't really matter whether you've forgiven someone 69 times or 489 times. The point is that by then you shouldn't be thinking, great, only one more to go and then I'm done. Thank God Jesus doesn't just forgive us seven times, or 77 times, or 70 times seven times. He goes on forgiving again and again and again. This is hard for us to grasp. I mean, how many times can you really forgive someone for sinning against you, for, li for lying about you, for lying to you? For talking behind your back and bearing false witness and taking credit for something you've done. How many times can you forgive someone who's seriously wronged you, hurt you, abused you? This is very hard teaching. But you know, our Christian faith is all about forgiveness. The Bible is full of it. 
The principal reason Jesus came was to offer us forgiveness. Jesus came, we read in Luke's gospel, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Forgiveness is not the icing on the cake for the super-Christian. Forgiveness is at the very heart of our Christian faith. We pray for it for ourselves and offer it to others every time we say the Lord's Prayer. What is it we pray? Forgive us our trespasses as... Let's have that a bit louder. As... Yeah. As we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Forgiveness is never easy, and it doesn't come cheap. It is very costly. In his book on forgiveness, Pastor Charles Stanley defines forgiveness as the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you that is the result of a wrong against you. Let me say that again. The act of setting someone free from an obligation owed to you that is the result of a wrong committed against you. And he describes forgiveness as involving three elements. First, there's an injury. Second, there is a debt resulting from that injury. And third, there is a cancellation of that debt. And the story that Jesus tells us in the parable in our gospel reading today makes this abundantly clear. First, the injury. The king in the story has effectively been massively robbed by his servant. Second, the debt. The amount that the servant in the story owed to the king was simply huge. It's hard to say just what uh, that 10,000 talents would translate to in today's money. But when you consider that the total revenue of the entire province of Galilee was only 300 talents, maybe we get the picture. It was an enormous debt. We're talking trillions of dollars, whatever a trillion is. The point being that the debt was so huge that the servant could not possibly have paid it. And nevertheless, the king's servant begs for mercy, promising to repay it in full, a ridiculous promise that he had no chance of keeping. One of the things that I think is so hard in all of this for us is to understand that each and every one of us is like that ridiculous servant. We have all wronged God and have racked up this debt that we can't pay back. Never. All the good works and all our efforts on our own will never pay back the debt. And so all we can do is ask for mercy. And that is the starting point for everyone who comes before God. And what we see in the king's response in this story is the third element of forgiveness, the cancellation of the debt. And therein we see the immense, undeserved, disproportionate love and forgiveness of God. The forgiveness that God makes freely available to us cost God the life of his only son, Jesus. You know, sometimes people think that to offer forgiveness is somehow to trivialize the offense, to say that it doesn't matter. But that is not the case. It is never the case. 
And this text is set before us on this 19th anniversary weekend of the 9-11 attacks. And we rightly have been hearing about how important it is that we remember those who lost their lives on that day and the importance of never forgetting what happened. But has anyone heard anything about forgiveness? I haven't. Does anyone dare suggest as we look out and justifiably condemn that terrible attack on our nation that we should also look inwardly to ourselves, to the sins that exist in our nation and in our own individual lives? Surely we must. For 19 years on from that terrible day, we are hardly a nation that can take pride in our own ethical and moral superiority. Sadly, we are perhaps more polarized and proud and self-righteous, judgmental, greedy and godless than ever before. You know, I look at what is written on Facebook and I see hate-filled rants. I see people calling other people names merely for their support of one politician or another, one party or another, one policy or another. And when I say people, I'm talking about my own Facebook friends, which means I'm actually talking about some of you. As Christians, we are called, commanded, expected to love one another and to forgive one another. The person who is your greatest earthly enemy is also one who is made in the image of God. Let us never ever forget that. And that is why the cry of the truly penitent is always, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness is not giving permission for sinful and evil behavior to continue by no means. In some case, cases, a judicial process may be needed and have to be followed through and allowed to take its course. Forgiveness is not the opposite of justice. For sin always matters. Sin always separates us from God and from one another. Indeed, sin matters so much that God took such drastic action to do something about it in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, you just need to forgive and forget. I don't think so. Author and psychiatrist Scott Peck, in his book, Further Along the Road Less Traveled, he writes this, we cannot truly forget. We can only truly forgive. Although in order to, to avoid doing the hard work of forgiveness, we often try to push the offense out of our minds. Though we may never truly forget grievous wrongs that have been perpetrated against us, we can learn not to harbor ill will.
We can choose to stop replaying those mental tapes. We can choose to let go of them. That's what God does in relation to our sins. In the book of Hebrews, in the Bible, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Forgiveness for us does not mean that we somehow <clears throat> wipe out of our mind the record of what's happened. Forgiveness means we choose not to ruminate on it, not to let it fester, and above all, not to let it be a hold against another. When we forgive, we release that obligation that was due to us as a result of the wrong that was done to us. Part of the nature of forgiveness is not only quantitative in the sense of being ready to forgive time and time again, True forgiveness is also qualitative in the sense that it knows no bounds or depths. True forgiveness offers itself even to those who don't ask for it or deserve it. God offers his forgiveness to all, even though many never accept and receive that forgiveness. And likewise, we need to be offering forgiveness when we have been wronged every time because if we don't if we don't do this the grudges we hold the hurt we try and suppress the resentment that simmers will cause us terrible damage unforgiveness damages us when we harbor resentment and withhold forgiveness we cause deep hurt to ourselves when we will not forgive, we are the ones who are left tied up, imprisoned, and tortured. An unwillingness to forgive leaves us with a great burden of resentment, malice, or hatred. And it can lead to profound emotional and physical sickness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. Like love, forgiveness is a doing word. Years ago, I read somewhere that offering forgiveness can be like peeling an onion, layer after layer. And so we peel one layer off to discover another below it. It takes time. It's a process. And one important part of that process of forgiveness is prayer. And so as we think of those, if we think of those people and those ways in which we have been hurt and wronged, we need to bring them layer by layer to God in prayer. Remembering always that as we do so, we are bringing them, all of our hurts, we're bringing these things to the one who has first forgiven us. You know, it can be hard enough to forgive the person who comes to you and asks for your forgiveness. But sometimes people who have wronged us will not admit their guilt, no matter what we do. In fact, they may even lie to cover up the truth. Sometimes they may even cut off the relationship rather than face the hard work of reconciliation. And sometimes they will go on hurting us. How can we forgive in a situation like that? 
Theologian John Calvin said, you can forgive even in that situation in the sense that you let go of the rope of anger and bitterness and refuse to let the hurt dominate your own life. Yes, the relationship may remain broken. It may never even be healed. But you can choose not to harbor resentment and withhold forgiveness. When we struggle to forgive another, whether it's a struggle because of the enormity of the offense committed against us, or whether it's due to the persistence with which we are sinned against, it's important for us to go back to the basics. We need to remember why it is so important that we forgive. And it's simply this. First and foremost, we forgive because we ourselves have been forgiven. And this morning's parable, this morning's teaching, illustrates so powerfully just how much we have been forgiven. Let us never forget the magnitude of God's forgiveness for us. The king forgave his servant's debt, a debt so large that the servant could never have paid it back, not ever. And the parable today also teaches us that there's only one proper response to the forgiveness that we have been shown, and that is to extend forgiveness to others. We're not to be like the unforgiving servant who hoarded, he hoarded the forgiveness he'd been given while miserly refusing to extend forgiveness to the one who owed him in comparison next to nothing. Our love as Christians is to be a love that reflects the love we've received from God. We're to love our neighbor, not just in the way in which we'd like to be treated, but also beyond that, in the way in which we have been treated by God. Earlier this week, I connected with our former youth pastor, Sarah Larrabee, and Sarah shared with me a very powerful testimony of her own experience with forgiveness, and she graciously agreed to share that story with us this morning. Hey, Church of the Ascension. Uh, my name is Sarah Larrabee, and I have been a member at Ascension for um, basically 10 years now. And I've been away for about six years serving overseas. Um, I'm in Chicago now, but um, Father Jonathan wanted me to talk about um, forgiveness in my life. And um, I am a person who prides herself on um, people thinking that I'm outgoing and cheerful and fun and always peppy and full of energy. And for the most part, that's very much true. Uh, but, um, what a lot of people don't know about me, except my closest friends, is that um, for the last five years, I did not speak to my father. Um, and it, it doesn't matter why now. Uh, the situation um, doesn't matter. I just chose not to talk to my dad. And over the five years, um, I saw myself transforming from someone who initially felt like she had really good and righteous reasons for why she was doing what she was doing to someone who was just hoarding resentment. And um, every time I would think about reaching out to my dad and and rekindling our, our relationship, um, I just, I didn't. 
I didn't do it. I just thought about ways that I was angry. And uh, he reached out to me time and time and time again. And I did not reciprocate that. And that whole time I was, I was writing newsletters to people like you, um, talking about how much I loved the Kurdish people and how much I wanted them to know Jesus. And um, myself would refuse to do the, the thing that Jesus calls us to do, to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And I had that um, hoarding of forgiveness in my life to the point that it became sin. And um, God, through his word and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, convinced me this past couple of months that it was time. And so this, this past August, my dad and I reconciled and it was, um, it was really awesome. And um, I thank God that he softened the ice of my heart to, to extend forgiveness to my dad because I have a dad again. So um, I love you all and um, forgive each other. Hmm. Thank you, Sarah, for that very beautiful and brave testimony. We love you. We miss you. Well, there is a final and very sobering word that we need to hear this morning from our gospel. There is such a thing as judgment. And this judgment is not to determine whether people deserve divine forgiveness, for no one does. Rather, it is to determine whether they have rightly received the undeserved gift of forgiveness. And in the parable, that is precisely what the first servant had not done. Commentator Frederick Bruner writes, a mark of unreal discipleship is a cavalier disregard of judgment with the inevitable consequence of a cavalier treatment of people. How we respond to the forgiveness we have received matters. Those who are forgiven must forgive. For if they do not, they will show themselves ultimately incapable of receiving forgiveness. Having described the fate of the unforgiving servant in the parable, Jesus then says to his disciples, so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And I think we hear those words and we want to rush over them. Surely Jesus couldn't have meant that. Surely a pardon once granted cannot be revoked. Surely God wouldn't do anything like that. Well, Jesus says that he will. When God so freely and graciously and lavishly forgives us, we need not only to say thank you, but also to forgive those who have sinned against us.
The need to have this forgiving spirit is emphasized so often in Jesus' teaching. As well as in the Lord's Prayer that I referenced before, we see Jesus teaching elsewhere. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I want to finish with two questions, and I'm sorry to end on a downer, but we just have to hear this. We have to hear this. First, this is not a downer. Have you received God's forgiveness? And if you haven't, I urge you to ask God to forgive you today, putting your whole trust in his grace and love and mercy. And second... Is there someone that you need to forgive? If there is, then don't hold that forgiveness back, but offer it from your heart in order that you may grow ever closer to the one who has forgiven you a debt larger than you could ever pay. Amen.